Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of Conversations. We're committed to bringing you leading-edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. On our program, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome to Conversations. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I'm really looking forward to today's interview. Michael Namkung is what happens when Bob Ross becomes an Olympic athlete. Michael is a father, poet, artist, and multiple world champion. He mentors men in expanding their self-expression and working with the power of their emotions and leads creativity retreats to help people access the depth of their creative power. Michael debuts his new performance, Seeing the Invisible Interactive, on January 3rd at the Albert Ross Theater in Portland, Oregon, and we'll give you other dates that you can see. Michael, once you get fully immersed in this amazing man, Michael, it's so good to have you on Conversations. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Let's start out with a little history, kind of your evolution as a person, an artist, a performer, your work with men, just a little bit of background for people so they know how you got to this point. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I've always identified myself as an artist, but I um, wasn't really able to claim that as a, as a child. Um, it was sort of convinced to me that... Uh, it wasn't a real thing. It wasn't um, wasn't a possibility, and so I did sort of give up on that pretty early. I don't know, around the age of ten or so, and I didn't really understand what effect that had on me at the time. But it did cause me to not trust myself, not trust what I wanted in life, and not kind of start to detach from the things I wanted in my own voice. You know, as it was kind of the beginning of losing my own voice. And as I became an adult, and that dream began to stir in me. I felt I couldn't really ignore it anymore and I just had to hazard myself and um, give it a go. You know, I remember sort of being in my late 20s feeling like, oh my gosh, time is running out. <laughs> you know, like I, it's almost too late for me to make a change or make a, a big decision. But um, so that was that decision to learn what it is to be an artist um, was the first real step towards becoming myself. And so that really saved my life in a big way. It got me connected to this, this energy that was inside of me. And I had a lot of success in the beginning as an artist. I went to graduate school and I learned, I learned what the professional practice was. I, I started to meet other artists and, and that really broadened my awareness and understanding of what I was doing. But at the same time, I, I found myself trying to fit myself within that world within the within the art world and and what that looked like and what that meant and that had a whole that was in in one sense that was another version of me losing a bit of my own voice and trying to fit into does this count as art and does this is this important and am i important and really looking to continuing to look at forms of external validation for Am I, for, the, for answering the question, am I doing the right thing? Is this okay for me to, to do? Do I belong? That was it, it, to kind of fast forward to a few years ago, I, I kind of woke up to something in me that had remembered that I had something, there's just something inside of me that I hadn't quite seen or hadn't let out. I hadn't even known consciously. And there was a poem that woke me up. It was the power of someone else's art that made me realize that there's some power inside of me that I hadn't quite felt, you know, that I just kind of chipped a little bit off of that, that thing mm. and that I had a lot to learn still. Mm. What was the poem? Oh, it was Wild Geese. Uh, I knew, I knew in my head that that was what you were going to say. Mary <laughs> Oliver's poem. Oh, I yeah. just said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that poem is, 
is known for waking a lot of people up to their soul, to that voice inside of them, you know, to their own inner knowingness, their, their deeper knowing of who they really are. Yeah. And also it's very descriptive about how pointing out the ways that we've kind of given ourselves away. You do not have to be good. You do no. not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles repenting. You only, <laughs> only have to listen to the soft animal of your body. I love that poem. Talk a little about, bit, Michael, about loss of voice and fitting in. This isn't just in the, in the realm of art. This is in the realm of living. Can you say a little more? Because your work really touches people and opens them up in that way. When I heard that poem, I realized I didn't, I didn't know my own voice. Mm -hmm. And there was something inside of me that knew that I had it and that I could sort of sense it. And that I, more than anything else in the world, I wanted to learn what that voice was saying and to embody it and to express it in the world. And in this really interesting way, I felt that I could no longer trust the voice of anyone else in the world, mm. even my own, except for the feeling that there was a voice that was beginning to burgeon or bloom inside of me. And then if I just followed that feeling, I would find that voice. And I would find that voice in the world, in the process of using it. And so I think that's one thing that, that was um, liberating for me to realize that that's how you find your voice, by beginning to develop, to develop a relationship with it. Yeah. Meaning it's not something that's actually out there that you go find. It's not... You don't go on a hunt for it. It's something that's, it's always been there. And it's a matter of sort of pulling out of the way all of the other voices that have been rattling around and governing our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts, our feelings. And writing poetry for me has been the vehicle or the, the, the mode or the medium that has, has given me that access because it gave me a different way of thinking, a different way of using language and words. And it was the way that I began to understand what I've been doing as an artist all along and what is the, what is the resonance that my work is seeking in the world. That, that is a question that's still sort of, it's very much alive in my work. And, and it continues to be alive as I move forward and ask new questions about who I am, what I'm doing, where I'm going. And so for me to be performing poetry, to be channeling words through my body, to be sharing it from an embodied space, which is different from the space of embodying it as it's coming out onto the page, um, feels like that's the, that's the arena where it enters other people, where it, it enters the voice inside of someone else that hasn't quite come out yet or that's waiting for an opportunity, waiting to find that resonance outside of themselves. Talk a little bit about the emotional constipation that many people feel. I think, you know, part of your work elicits such strong emotions in a healthy, confronting way. And so many of us are afraid of expressing our emotions, or worse yet, don't even feel what we're actually feeling. Yeah, well, that was me for a long time. I, I, I couldn't feel my own emotions for a long time. I, I learned to push them down like so many men learn as they grow up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it feels very dangerous to let those things loose. This is not just men, but it affects men in a particular way where we are very narrow in our self-expression and there's only certain things that are that we decide are acceptable or um, accepted and anything else means that we may lose our sense of who we are our identity and our sense of belonging and so one thing that has been a revelation for me is to realize that even in, as an artist i've had um, an understanding of how the creative process works through me but there is a level at which the creative process is not something that I control at all. 
And that's so directly connected to that sense of in artists and, and poets and musicians and all kinds of creative people have identified this with so many different words and um, concepts, but it's that it's your intuition, it's the unknown, it's the part that's moving outside of you and around you and through you. It's the part that's not of you, but it um, comes, it's a participatory part. It's the sort of silent partner in making the work. And so it's the emotions that are the access point. It's the, those are the signals of the intuition, the signals of, of, of are you participating in the creative flow or are, you, or are you kind of egoically working against it to create the thing that you think needs, to, you've already decided in advance needs to happen which is not, which is a form of, of creative expression, but it's different from working with, working with the invisible forces around us. So it's, uh, it's in that honoring of all of the emotions that are inside and that I'm experiencing in my body that for me, I experience a freedom of creativity that starts to flow, that this, there's a, there's a deeper level of expression, a deeper level of truth, and a deeper, deeper level of, um, of what feels more like an infinite kind of creativity, not just the creativity that I've, I've already figured out that I know. I know a lot of things about drawing and about using my body and about how to make things, and those are all kind of in the past. You know, They're not directly in the present moment of what's being they're not addressing how am I creating my life and my experience right now. And in order to access that, I need to have close connection or relationship with my emotional body and those things that continue to move through me. So let's talk about the process, you know, so we've identified uh, that many of us, including you and I both have at at some time in our life had a very hard time even knowing what we were feeling. I would say on top of that, uh, most of us are fairly disembodied that we don't even inhabit our own body. So we're kind of schizophrenic. My teacher, Gabrielle Roth used to say, our mind and our body and our heart emotions are not in alignment. So the path back and particularly the path back through creative expression. Can you talk about that? Mm, yeah. Well, the creative expression um, is, is all about getting your hands dirty. You know, it's all about making contact with the worlds, with the things of the world, with the people of the worlds, with the spaces in the, in the, in the real physical um, world we live in. So that's the, the visual part or the, the, the scene part of the creative process. And um, we can be, you know, the, the creative process begins in our imagination. It begins in the invisible world. And that's really its source. But if we're not picking things up with our hands or creating a container for a conversation, you know, if we're not actually engaged in our daily lives with our emotions, then we're not really in that, fully inhabiting that creative process. And so there's a, there's a lovely way in which once we commit to that process, we find ourselves in that participatory dialogue with it, that conversation with reality, the conversation with our work, or a real conversation with others. And so, um, I can't remember exactly. There was something about your question that that, um, that I, was, I lost. Being out of alignment, out of congruence, mind, body, emotions. Right. So yeah. So the creative process is, is an embodied process, right? To be fully in the process, there has to be a way that we're connected to our bodies in the real world, and that's the that's actually the only way that we it seems to me to be the only way that we really get true um feedback from 
being connected to the world is by hazarding ourselves out there to risk, to risk our ideas, to risk our emotions, to risk our sense of self in, in conversation with others and with our work. And that's actually something that I, I, uh, I think is not very well understood is that the conversation is with the work too, the work itself. You know, the work has an energy that again is not born of me. It doesn't come, I didn't create it. I'm just creating with it. And then once it's out there, like for example, if I make a drawing or any piece of art or even a statement, right? That goes out into the world to someone else. Now it's out there, right? Now it's, it's moving. And if I'm listening, I can then hear what's coming back. How does it echo back to me? How does it challenge my assumptions about the thing that I made versus this is a finite or this is a fixed expression that I've already decided in advance what it means. And now it's out there and you either understand it or you're not tough luck or, or if you do, if you, or if you don't versus the expression as a form of a opening or a question that I'm, asking myself at a deeper level. Like, well, what does it mean for me to express in this way, to create this thing, to create this event or environment or installation or conversation? And what is it that I'm paying attention to in it? And that's the, that's the, that's the sort of magical key to everything is what am I, where am I placing my attention and what am I wanting to receive back from it? Hmm. Because that's what keeps it alive. Like I, I always think that a, a good artwork is one that, as it goes out into the world, it comes back not quite in the same form you thought it was moving out into the world as. Mm. Showing you, it's opening up. It opens up onto a, a new question. And when it comes back with a final answer, it kind of dies right there. Mm. So much in what you're saying, Michael. So what I hear in that last thing you're talking about, paying attention and having an intention. Uh, when I think of, say, you know, I was listening to Bruce Lipton not long ago, and he was talking about the reptilian brain or unconscious and the conscious brain and the ratio of something like the unconscious is putting out 40 million bits or packets of information against the frontal new brain putting out 4,000 packets of information. So we're dealing with an enormous, not only our own past, but our ancestral, you know, our blood, our bones, our breath is a product of millions of years, billions of years of evolution. And for the most part, it seems that we don't really live into the future. We live into the past. And whichever one we're focused on, the future or the past, means we're not present. And if you're not present, you can't pay attention. And no matter what intention you're holding, it doesn't make much difference because you'll be using you're being used by conversations from the past. So how can our mm, creative urge help us to overcome that tendency to be pulled into the past? Mm. What a great question. Well, the, the way that you just outlined that understanding is the first step, like a, an understanding, an awareness that we have a tendency or a pattern in us for that exists for whatever reason, like survival or you know, it's a way that we learned it's, it's in us and um, the fact that that's been our experience is the first step towards wanting wanting to change that mm -hmm. so if we know that about ourselves if we know that gosh i spend so much of my time worrying about what's going to happen or kind of mulling over something that happened already in the past and i'm not happy with that i don't feel like i'm accessing my creativity i don't feel here um, I feel like I'm, my relationships are hashing over or worrying. You know, once we have that awareness and we desire to change that, those, that's the kind of energy that allows us to begin a practice of being present. 
and that practice of being present is being present in the now, which is really the only real time there is, right? That we can say, here it is, I'm in it right now. It's the only place where our creative power actually exists. And so once we are awake to that experience that we've been all having and have the deep desire to have a different experience, that's the kind of energy that allows us to fuel a practice, a new, a new level of practice in our lives. And it's not just an art practice or what we call a traditional creative practice. It's how we practice life. You know, yeah. it, it, it's the kind of thing that, well, for me, that motivated me to, um, well, helped me decide that I wanted to stop living that way. I needed to stop living in the past and spending so much of my energy trying to control or anticipate what's going to happen and surrender to the present moment. And that's the power of any sort of meditative practice, whether it's an actual sitting meditation or a walking meditation or just a practice that's very mindful in the way that you're using your body and your thoughts and connected to what is here and now in any, any activity of our lives. And those are all where our power, our creative power is. Um, so the question of, it's so, it's so interesting. I think about this a lot, this question of how, because it comes up for me too, very much. Like, well, what, what, are, what do we do in order to move past this way that we've been living? And there's a way in which that question, asking the question stops you in your path, you know, and takes you out of the present. And there's a, there's a, there's always a deeper level of surrender to that question. And the thing that I found is the less I ask that question, the more I find the answer to that question mm. in the moment or in reflecting on what has happened. And it's almost like there's this divine sort of um, comedy around our need to know and how much, we're, we're, how much we are rewarded with knowing when we give, it up, give up our need to know. And we always find out the how. We find out. There's a, a track record of everything that has happened, and that's how it worked. Yeah. But it's and always in relationship to, it, the more that we give up that how question, um, the more we find actual real revelations versus... And that's what, it, that's what it means to ask a real question versus, or to live in a real question versus I have a question that's sort of angling towards an answer that's going to make me feel good. You know, I think it's going to make me feel good. Yeah. Reminded of um, Rilke's letter to a young artist saying, live into the question. You know, you may not find the answer, but it will, it will enliven you. And I, I, I think of that as, a statement of saying that so many people have said, but it sounds like a soundbite, but that our life is our art. That, you know, we're talking about your stage performance, your poetry, your different expressions of art. But from that state of presence that you're talking to, that place is always a choice place, which means a creative place. If we have the courage to step into that, where do you find in yourself that courage, courage coming from the French word cour of the heart? Where do you find that place when you walk out on stage? You, you have an amazing presence when you're on the stage to be there and it's captivating. People who see you in, on the stage are completely, they have an awakening experience really. Mm. Where does that come from? Where, you know, is it out of just the question or is there something else that is there for you that, that uh, sparks that? Oh, there is a deep desire for me to find out who I am in the moment. And there's also a, uh, an awareness that I have 
when I'm on stage that it's not the me that I think that I am or that I've thought that I am. It's not my identity as a poet or artist or performer or, or any of the things as a man, as a father. It's not any of those things that has brought me there. And it's not any of those things that is accessing the creative power of the space. And I, I, you know, as an artist in the art world, I learned to perform professionally, meaning I learned how to give a good talk, give a good lecture, explain things, sound intelligent, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And there's, I have this, this feeling of when I'm walking out there, that I'm bringing with me all the parts of myself that have been afraid to be up there, mm. that are, are afraid to fail, that are afraid of what does it mean if, you know, what will, ha what will happen if nobody likes it? You know, all of that comes with me out there. And so it feels like the most integrated thing that I could do is to bring all those parts of me and then be with them as I'm expressing what it is that I'm wanting to say mm. in relationship to the energy that I feel from the audience. And that's a very real part of it too. I think that I'm, that I'm, I'm beginning to appreciate and understand is that that space that we're all in together is really where it's all coming from. And it's not just me in my studio anymore. It's not me in, I mean, this is my own creative space is a very alive and nourishing space. But once it is, this is like the hand, getting the hands dirty. Once it's in the world, once it becomes alive in the world, it, it's like it magnifies or amplifies in terms of its energy or its frequency. And that's the, that's a very tangible feeling that I experience in the, in those spaces. And I think that's also why it affects others experience it too. It's because it's a mutual experience of, of energy flow. Yeah. It sort of, I don't know how else to describe it other than it feels like it's moving through the space, moving through all of our bodies simultaneously. And so I, <laughs> I connect to that part of me that knows that there's something bigger here, something much bigger that is allowing me the, the freedom and the, and that's, that's charging my courage to be up there and to know that even if, even if I stumble over my words or I forget something or I, I don't perform the way that I've sort of built up in my head that I want to, that it's still, perfect. It's still exactly what I needed to do. Um, and I think there's something about the energy of the permission that I give myself to do that, that others have been responding to. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love what you're saying. I, you know, as you're, you're speaking, I'm thinking, well, it's actually a co-creation, you know, uh, if you're that present, then you're present to the inseparability of this, uh, this interconnection, interbeing, as Thich Nhat Hanh would say, this co-creation that's happening. And there's some place where you allow yourself to be in the stream. I think that's what you're talking about when you're talking about accessing the creative flow that allows you to, to transcend the fear-based conditioning. And with that first thing we were talking about, the attention and intention stepping into that flow. Is that what you mean when you're talking about the creative flow? Yeah. Paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Paying attention to all the things that we can't see, mm -hmm. you know, which are not only my own emotions and my own desires, mm -hmm. but the actual physical space around us, mm -hmm. the people that are there in front of me the, and, and their energies and 
and the feeling of my feet on the floor. Embodiment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it's really palpable when, when I saw you perform in California, it, there was a visceral experience and it wasn't just me, everybody around me was feeling that kind of energy of um, transcendence of self is what I would call it actually. There was a, there was a community transcendent of self, mm. which is beautiful. Is that how you, would you call it that too? Or what yeah. yeah, yes, it doesn't feel like the me that I'm so familiar with. Yeah, right. <laughs> it really doesn't. And there's a way in which the, the, this, the words that I'm using or the words that I've chosen or the words that I've composed or the words that are coming out um, feel like they are also not quite all the way my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm selecting them from where, they, from where they come. And something that I realize when I've listened to speakers and poets and performers is, is something, when something resonates inside of me, it's actually because it was inside of me. Yeah. It's coming through someone else's voice, but there's a familiarity, there's a, and that's, that's a deeper knowing, um, or it's, a, it's an activation of that deeper knowing that brings me alive, mm. that allows me to feel that there is, a, there is a oneness that we're participating in, you know? And that's a, that's a very real, very tangible thing. And I think the way you describe that is beautiful, the, this collect, what did you say, collective? I don't remember. Yeah, well. <laughs> co-creation, interbeing, co- yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, but it's tangible, right? It's in something we feel in our body. It's coming right? through me, Michael. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. It's in the past. It's not, yeah. I think it's a great time, given the conversation, for you to, if you would, I'd love to have you read a poem or so, or at least one to give people a sense of it particularly if there's one that you think applies to the areas that we're talking about right now. Do you have one that you could share with us? Sure, yeah. I Actually, the one that has been, just came up in the last few minutes is a poem that, that I wrote. It wasn't the very first poem that I wrote, but it was one of the firsts that became something of a, of a manifesto for me that speaks to this idea that the voice is actually not just in me, but, um, and it's about, it's about art. It's sort of a place where I was coming to a turning point where I was realizing where the power of art really was. Mm -hmm. And I was beginning to recognize that the power of art was not in the things themselves, weren't in the, the gestures or the expressions or the, the, the outcomes of the creative process. It was in the experience of the sharing of it, in the experience of receiving and giving. And in that is the place where we all connect with, we all have the artistic experience. You know, we all have the artistry in ourselves come online. And um, that's something that I, so I use this poem to kind of, as I was writing it, I. I was coming to a deeper understanding of what I was doing. And it also became kind of a, a foreshadowing of what I was to begin really immersing myself in, in this world. So it's called Art is Here. Art is not here. Has not evolved lockstep with our ancestors as an accoutrement. Art is not here to be appreciated. Art is here to arrest us from our exile. Art is here. Nascent, formless energy moving through me, flowing out from my hand to the tip of this ballpoint pen onto the thin blue lines of this small notepad. Through the vibration of this voice, that moves across the space between us and into your body. In these words, hear the sound of your own voice singing quietly in your dark caverns, waiting for the day to get out.
the internal echo of your sweet substance has called forth this song. And as it enters, it leaves the words behind that carried it here without looking back, returning to formlessness, the exact form required and the only form allowed to pass over the threshold, to penetrate you, to meet you behind the mask, to greet you as the one you really are. Mm. Beautiful. You, you particularly captured me, well, all of it, but the line that's still resonating with me is being arrested from our exile. Mm -hmm. We don't realize how much we're not here. I forgot who it was, it might've been Kyle, but uh, someone recently, uh, or Thomas Hubel, who's one of my teachers, was saying, we talk about we're checking out, that you know we check out, but the reality is that we're actually almost always checked out. We check in once in a while. It's the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. It's just it's because it's so true. You know, it reminds me of driving down a road and going a hundred miles and not seeing anything. Where where was I in that time? And so I'm I'm just. Um, really grateful for the opportunity to have this conversation. If you just tuned in, I'm talking to Michael Namkung, poet, many other things, but you're going to have a, a show coming up starting in Portland. Tell people how to find out your schedule. Um, but my website is where is kind of the central place anyways, where that stuff will be always available. It's michaelnamkung.com. Yeah. Um, and that'll have upcoming dates. And I have, uh, so yes, there's the Portland show. And then I have, a few shows in at the Fringe Festival in Perth, Australia in February, mm -hmm. and then a show in, in Ashland, Oregon in, in April. So that's what's on the calendar right now. Yeah. yeah. And just to say, Michael Namkung, N-A-M-K-U-N-G dot com, right? Yes, exactly. Talk about the distinction between creativity and artistry. Mm. The distinction that I've come to understand is that we are all creative beings all the time. We're always creating our life experience based on how present we are, how attentive we are, what's moving through us, what stories we're circulating around in our heads and in our nervous systems. And, and the choices we make are always determining our experience and the meanings that we're deriving from that. And so in that sense, we're always in that powerful creative place. But artistry is when you become conscious of that process. And it's when you make creativity a conscious choice to, to direct that flow of power, of energy, towards the things that you want to create the things that you're trying to make in the world, the things that you haven't yet seen, but are calling you towards them. And so in that sense, I think that our artistry is simply, no matter what your form of expression is, it's simply that discipline of coming to ground in your life and staying awake and staying awake as you are in that process and in that practice of making decisions with the things of your world and the people of your world. I do believe that everyone has this in them and it's not something that, it, one of the things that we, we get hung up around is this idea that only some people are artists or have that in them, but we're all born with this innate, innate, um, state or uh, uh, beingness, being a creator in the world. You know, if you think about how a, a young child creates before they've learned that there are right ways and wrong ways of doing it or that it's supposed to be a certain way, we do it just automatically and we do it without attachment to the outcome because we are meant to make our mark on the world. We're meant to take up space. We're meant to be here. And 
a young child who hasn't become so self-conscious about that yet is still easily participating in that, in that flow as a way of being in the world, as a way of, of really, they're, they're so automatically embodying their oneness with the world. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm doing this thing. It's, hey, me and the world are here together. And in that sense, all of these young children are, are our best teachers. You know, because they're, they're showing us this is the way that we are supposed to be in the world. This is the way. This, and in fact, this is our path back in, in observing people who are free in this way. Um, and so those are artists. You know? And then we kind of forget that, that we have that in us. And it's really a matter of becoming aware of what we've the masks that we've learned to wear and remembering the thing inside of us that's always been there. Mm -hmm. There's, there's a eternal light that is always with us. Even if we can't with our conscious, with the level of our consciousness, feel it or see it. Um, And it just takes something small, something seemingly innocuous or benign or, and usually out of the blue or from left field to wake us up to that, to remind us that, oh, there is that, there is a deeper truth that I haven't been aware of. Yeah. And that's the discipline of artistry is to, to keep that light, keep the knowingness that that light is there and it will always be there. It's always been there and leaning into its luminosity, leaning into what it is there to show. Um, which is a great discipline, you know, meaning it's a very, it's a very challenging discipline when we've been taught to run from it for so long. My teacher, Gabrielle Roth, who I've studied with, with close to 40 years, actually, used to say, um, it takes great discipline to be a free spirit. Yes. And I always loved that. And so that discipline is definitely an aspect and the risk, you know, I can't remember the poem that comes to mind, but I can see it uh, in my heart. It's a poem that talks about the risk of the bud becoming the flower. You probably know the poem. I can't think of which one it was now. Might've been another Mary Oliver. (laughs) Sounds like it. But those two things. And I want to shift a little bit but they're very related, risk and discipline. Um, And that is, you do a lot of men's groups. And in the time remaining, I'd like to talk a little bit about the risk of being a vulnerable, creative man and the discipline of engaging when we live in a society that has very tight boundaries of what it means to be a man for the most part. Um, I, I wonder what some of the things you've learned about working with men would be in terms of um, a, a man, a man's life being his art and the vulnerability that it takes in that. Most men have some version of, it's simply not safe for me to express what I truly feel inside of them. And there's all kinds of strategies and coping mechanisms we use, we learn to use to, to not show that part of ourselves. And so it does take an act of vulnerability, even for a man to raise his hand and say, I need help with this. So I mean, the men that come to my circle and the men that I coach are, they're in a, a phase of, of actual quite a bit of pain of realizing that there's um, there's something they they've got a hold of the spark they they realize there's something in them that's not not working that's not being seen and they're asking for help and just that just the showing up is a huge act of vulnerability mm-hmm. and then in this space of the, the question that I bring to the, the table is how do I create a space where men can feel safe. And I think that's an important operative word is men feel generally in the culture, we feel unsafe to express that we hurt, 
or that we feel pain or that we need help that we're not these independent um, tough guys, you know, or that we can, we can figure it all out ourselves. And that there's something, we've built up this idea that there's something inherently wrong with us if we show that we are interconnected with one another. That we, that, well, if we feel like most of us learn at a young age, either directly through our parents or from other authorities or from our peers, you know, what it means to be a boy, what it means to be a man. We see it modeled uh, all around us. And most of us make a decision that it's simply unsafe for me to express my emotions. And so when we, when we bring, when I bring men together, it's the main thing that I'm trying to create is a space where it is not only safe to express your emotions, not only safe to say the thing that you've had a hard time saying, but that, that is where the energy and the power of change lies is in seeing because it's in the sort of getting the words out as imperfect and as awkward and as um as cheat pulling as it can kind of feel like on the other side of that is this immense amount of power and relief and creativity and it's just in the recognizing um that it's there for me that allows i think me to hold that space and to um and to feel like it's the conversations we have around saying what you feel feel like radical conversations like we're tapping into something that we've long forgotten and they are things we've long forgotten as men and there's a way in which we especially hold ourselves off from other men you know, there's a natural way that the feminine draws us out and we feel safer. And very often um, a man finds that feminine energy in a partner or a friend or a lover that um, makes it safe. But then when we go out into the world of other, of other men, it feels unsafe again. And so that's, the, that's, the, that's my always, and it's a very explicit goal that I have that I share with, with the guys is that, you know, the the power of this, of creating these spaces and the power of tapping into your emotions is being able to carry them with you as you leave the sacredness of the circle or as you leave this safe space we created or as you leave whatever space that you can find that, that in. It's when you, again, it's when you get your hands dirty, when you say to the thing to your colleague or to your father or to your brother or to the person that you've had the conflict with that opens your heart Mm -hmm. um, and shows you that you've been living in a lie, <laughs> that you're actually safe in sharing these things. And not only that, you give permission to others to, um, to see that deeper part of you. And in seeing that deeper part of oneself, it allows you, it gives you the, the capacity to, to see the depth of another. And so I, I think it's fascinating how, you know, I, part of my, a lot of my, well, some of my poems address this, this way that men are, and there's a very real way in which men learn to be with one another and have this very heavily coded language around how they express feelings and their emotions. You know, like a game of catch is actually a very intimate, communal, loving activity. Mm. And it's wordless for the most part but it's full of this energetic exchange and this giving and receiving and this desire to connect and this desire to be seen and to, um, to deliver in an, in an accurate way, deliver in a way that says, I see you and we're connected. Do you have at your fingertips, uh, one of your men's poems, uh, that you might be able to in closing here? Uh, sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll read the one. There's one called game of catch actually. It's about this Beautiful. process. A small shift of your shoulders and an expectant gaze signal your readiness. Open your chest to him, open your heart and smile into the joy of what is about to happen in this nothing to do this. Here it comes, watch it uncoil and move through his body from center to periphery. It extends from his hand into the space between with a flourish 
see the beauty in his body in this moment that extends love and life to you. Witness how its arc and speed carry his intention. What does it say, this silent transmission? Does it come in straight to make a point or does it ride swirling air across the expanse? Your careful attention slows it down and now it drops like a quiet feather into the open cradle of your hands. Use both hands, bring them together, holy communion in every reception. In your hands, catch the entire ancestry. Receive the gift, your turn now. What will you say? What's moving through you? Enter the wordless belonging you learned from your father or the one you wish you had. In the absence of things that were never said, weave a loving thread onto the loom of your longing for him. This strange mixture of awkwardness and ease and the secret enduring desire to find a way, make this game the perfect one. May it wash away the things undone. Mm. Oh, it's beautiful, Michael. Michael Namkung, such a treat, such a delight. I am so grateful. And, um, you know, I was thinking earlier as you were talking, gratitude for me is the quickest way to access presence. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's one of the things that's so special about your work. It elicits gratitude and gratitude elicits presence. It's a ball game back and forth. And I've just had such a great time playing ball with you today. Thank you so much. Again, your website is michaelnamkung.com and there's some beautiful videos on there and uh, your schedule of performances. Just awesome to be with you, Michael. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. This is a lovely conversation. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Me too. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Conversations is an independently produced program supported by KVMR 89.5 Nevada City and listener contributions. We are committed to bringing you leading-edge thinking in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution or order any of our past shows, go to our website at arewelistening.net.